Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Theopolis podcast. I'm your host, Brian Motes, and I'm the content manager at Theopolis. We at Theopolis train men and women to lead cultural renewal by renewing the church. Those who participate in our programs learn to read the Bible imaginatively, worship God faithfully, and engage the culture intelligently. We're joined today by Jeff Myers and Alistair Roberts. And this week, we are uh, concluding our walk through the book of James in the third chapter. Let me begin by reading uh, this section, James 3, 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So James's hearers are in a difficult situation. They're suffering violence from persecutors and are uh, in these exiled communities. And in this context, James wants his uh, hearers to show themselves to be a controlled people. It's really one of the, the main themes of this book, control and maturity. We saw that he wanted them to be controlled in their speech, as we saw last week, but also uh, in how they act in wisdom and in understanding. So the question that James is addressing here is, how are these Jewish persecuted Christians going to respond to the persecution in their midst? And his answer here is they're going to need to respond with meekness and with peace. So a, a couple of questions here to, to jump us off is, what does it mean to show forth works in meekness and in wisdom? They, they probably know that the meek will inherit the earth from the Sermon on the Mount, which we've seen that James is borrowing from Matthew a lot in, in his letter. Is that what is in mind for James here? Um, it seems like this is James's way of showing his hearers how they are to conquer, how they are to overcome in the midst of all of this persecution is through uh, wisdom and control and, and meekness. So what does that mean to show forth meekness and wisdom? And is that what's in James's mind here? We might also relate it to the statements of the preceding chapter. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Here is another case of works done in a particular way, showing forth um, the character of a person. In chapter two, it's the faithful character of someone like Abraham. And here it's the, the wisdom of someone who is um, displaying by their good conduct the fact that they are a wise and good person. Yeah, though, um, are there any wise and understanding leaders among them? Uh, well, it's not just this, the angry speech uh, that we've been dealing with in the last podcast in the first chapter that's going to characterize wisdom. It's, it's your conduct. And remember, this is the central question that faces his hearers. How will they respond to the violence and persecution of their oppressors? How, and their interest is bringing about the righteousness, the justice of God. And we go back to uh, chapter 1, verse 19. Know this, beloved brothers, 
Brothers, every man should be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness or the justice of God. In other words, you want to see, they want to see God's righteousness um, enacted. They want to see it come to, they want to see him make things right because right now things are not right for them. And he says, look, put away the filthiness, the rampant malice, receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to deliver your lives. So here we end the chapter, chapter three, with this promise of a harvest of righteousness, which tells you that this is something more than just individual justification here. Uh, this is this is something within uh, their community that they're looking for, a harvest of righteousness. And the way that happens is by working meekness, the meekness of wisdom in this situation. And meekness, of course, you referred to this in Matthew 5, uh, mm -hmm. Brian, is comes from the Sermon on the Mount, of course. Um, but what does it mean to live in the meekness of wisdom? Uh, the scriptures are pretty clear on this. So you think about Numbers 12, where Moses is described as very meek, more than all the people who are on the face of the earth. And that comes that description of Moses comes when he's being attacked by his siblings, Aaron and Miriam, because of his marriage to uh, this Cushite woman, which could be Zipporah. Um, it doesn't matter at this point, but he's being attacked. His authority, his prominence is being questioned. And what's striking is that Moses doesn't defend himself overtly right. against Aaron. Rather, Yahweh deals with their wickedness by rebuking them, striking uh, Miriam with jealousy. And it's as if, the, as the Bible tells us, Moses, the meekest man on the face of the earth, um, it's not passivity, but it also means he trusted God to defend him against the wicked instead of using his own power to defend himself. Um, I do say in the commentary that I think that posture is also described in Psalm 37, written by David, um, and he is also talking about his life of trust in Yahweh to protect him from the wicked, and he commends that same path to Israel. And if you want to inherit the land, then you will wait for Yahweh. You'll The meek will inherit it. Those blessed by Yahweh, the righteous, those who wait for him. Uh, that means, I think, for for these people, for us, meekness requires maintaining one's trust in Jesus and his promise of righteousness and justice mm -hmm. in the midst of violence and evil, but we're going to trust him for protection and vengeance against our enemies. Um, and that's the issue. That's the big issue in James, I think, is, is seeking Vengeance. That's why you have all this language in verses 14 about hateful zealotry, which is literally what it is. Zelos is the word, hateful mm. zealotry, political ambition, Eretheia, um, mm. in their hearts. And that kind of boasting, that kind of un wisdom is not wisdom. It's unspiritual, it's demonic. Um, and so you have this contrast between meekness and patience, and waiting, and trusting in Yahweh, 
And James is going to say in James chapter five that they know that a judgment is on the way. They need to just be patient. It's at hand. Don't don't try to uh, enact it yourself. Contrast between that attitude and the zealotry, the selfish ambition, and that's not going to produce a harvest of righteousness. Rather, it's going to produce uh, anarchy, disorder, every vile practice. That's the contrast here. How are they? Are they going to behave in meekness, or are they going to behave according to the characteristics of the zealots in their insurrection against Rome? A continued theme within James as well is knowing how to read people, knowing how to read yourself, um, to discern the character of um, your own heart, and then to discern the character of other people. And this can take many different forms. So in chapter one, there's a lot of emphasis upon what is true religion. What is it to be a truly religious person, someone who is truly given to the word of God? In chapter two, it's how do you discern your brothers? How do you recognize your brothers without falling into the sin of partiality? How do you discern true faith within yourself and within other Christians? In chapter three, it's the question of leadership. How is a leader to be discerning of themselves and their place within the body and the damage or the good that they can do? And then towards the end of the chapter, it can be the question of how do you discern those people who are fitting leaders within your community, those who are wise and understanding among you? How would you recognize them? How would you choose them? And then later on, it's um, what are all these troubles within your congregation being caused by? How do you discern the troublemaker? And then how do you discern those people who are your adversaries outside of the church? How do you truly understand their character, their destiny, and view them aright? And with wisdom, so much of wisdom is about being able to trace um, character um, back from the fruits of people's actions and to recognize the connection between the tree and the fruits that it bears. And throughout the book of James, James is equipping people in a situation of crisis and pressure to be able to discern their own hearts, to be able to discern other Christians in the right way, to be able to discern those people who are opposed to the gospel of Christ, and then also to be able to recognize good and bad leaders and to appreciate those things that are going to be causing trouble within the church and where they arise from. And these are skills that are perennial. Um, we always need these. There's never going to be a time when the church outgrows the necessity of these things. There's an article posted on Theopolis by this guy, Garrett Soucy, um, called Warhorse Meek that I found really helpful a few months ago when we posted that. He does talk about the Sermon on the Mount and other texts such as Proverbs 16, 32, which says that he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty and he that ruleth his spirit than he that takes a city. Um, and he goes on to, ex uh, oh, he also just says uh, in Matthew 11, take my yoke upon you, learn from me for I am meek and lowly in heart. And you see uh, Jesus has living these things out that we've been talking about in the Gospels. Um, but I think his description of meekness is, is quite helpful. He, he describes it as that of a war horse who only follows the instructions of his master. So uh, something great and powerful, something uh, that could kill you, that could do a lot of seemingly powerful things, and yet is under the service and in service of its master. And we see these types of things all throughout 
the the book of James with these themes of control, especially as we saw last week with the tongue. Uh, the tongue can do so many things. Um, it can set on fire entire forests and it can direct a giant ship. And yet Christ's people are called to be meek, which is to have all of that power and yet keep that power in control, but also know when to when to release that power, when to turn over tables, uh, when to rebuke, when to yeah, when, when to to let some of that power show itself. And that is why I think wisdom is so key here uh, in verse 13, is that these things in the potentially too young or the immature or those who lack wisdom uh, are quite can be quite dangerous and can prove to be um, really destructive in the life of the body, especially when you pair it with these things like, you know, this isn't, this passage isn't just talking about the, the outsiders necessarily who are coming against them, but things like bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, these things can happen even against brothers and sisters. And if you live in a way that is not meek and that is unwise, great destruction will, will come upon the church. It's uh, funny you mentioned the, the War Horse article because I, I read that and remembered that 40 years ago, uh, I mean, I'm getting old. I don't remember a lot of things, but I remember when you were born well, 40 yeah. years ago. <laughs> no, no, no. I was 25 years old. And, and I, I listened to uh, some tapes, cassette tapes of Rush Dooney. Uh, and there's a series on the, uh, the Sermon on Mount on the Beatitudes. And in his, in his uh, talk on meekness, I remember him describing meekness uh, in a way that just has always stuck with me. And it says like a horse that's broken to harness so that meekness is being broken to harness. And if, if uh, uh, a horse, of course, is not weak, but mm -hmm. if he's meek, he's been broken. And so he's, he's able to, his strength is, is able to be guided by his rider. Um, and he was relating that to the way God breaks us and uses us not to, not to crush us, but to make us stronger and mature. I think something like that obviously is also going on here. I, I will say in, in the commentary, I talk about a couple of the words that are used here, a couple of the terms that James uses, mm -hmm. especially in verse 14. So if you have bitter jealousy is the way the ESV translates it, but that word is zealous. It's uh, zealotry, if you will. And uh, of course, it's the word used to refer to various Jewish revolutionary movements during that this time period. Uh, <clears throat> and there's all sorts of cabals that uh, at the end of this time period led to the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in AD 70. Uh, all these revolutionary groups during this time, they all shared this common belief, this commitment that looked forward to a time when God would defeat the Romans and himself rule over them. In other words, he would implement justice, the righteous kingdom that he promised. But the problem is they were willing to use any means necessary, including political manipulation and violence in order to hasten that day. Um, I, I, I can't imagine James using this word and not uh, tying into 
that whole mindset, that whole problem. The other word there is selfish ambition, uh, which is erethea. It's a word used throughout classical Greek uh, for like the narrow partisan zeal of people seeking political power. So, I mean, James is warning his readers, not just against harboring in their hearts individualistic and pie and kind of petty jealousy, but mm-hmm. also this, a corporate mentality of bitterness and political vengeance against their opponents. Um, and they would have, they would have been tempted by this. Uh, the, these kinds of actions are easily, easily sway, easily um, come to a persecuted minority. And they, they seem justifiable and wise because we're doing the same thing or we're, we're, we're turning back on our opponents the very same thing that they're doing to us. Right. That's, that's the problem. That's one of the problems, at least. I think it's useful pastorally to see the tactics. Um, we've done this a few times in this series, but to see the tactics that James uses when he writes to his people. I mean, the, uh, a healthy and godly introspection here is quite useful. Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts. Um, sincerity, uh, he brings up in verse 17, impartiality. These are things that are known by going inward. Some of us, I know at least um, in conversations that I've been with, some some folks when they get when they become reformed or or something, they kind of buck against the introspection that they may see in things like the Puritans. But I think leaving that all together is not useful. James here calls us to know our hearts, to know our ambitions all the way down and to realize in ourselves the selfish ambitions that can come up, the bitter jealousies that can be there, the insincerity, the the partiality, and to act in a way that accords with God's word and was with wisdom and meekness. James, in his catalog of the characteristics of the wisdom from above, is quite reminiscent of Paul's list of the fruit of the Spirit. But the description here, I think, is an incredibly powerful one to reflect upon. That he opens with purity, I think, is important. Purity is a theme that has often been at the very heart of um, James's treatment of various issues. So, for instance, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, um, in chapter 1, verse 27, that emphasis upon purity at the very outset, purity in the sense of being not admixed, purity in the sense of being holy, Um, the way in which purity is like the fresh water spring that won't deceive you by giving salty water. And that list of traits, I think, as we reflect upon each one of them, it, it is a sort of spectrum through which we can see the pure white light of wisdom being separated out into its various characteristic properties. And here, I think we can also consider the way that so much of wisdom is about learning where to find wisdom, how to grow in wisdom, how to develop. Um, And much of wisdom is about moral character. The person who seeks wisdom needs to consider who they're spending time with. They need to master their desire, for instance, for flattery. They need to be people who are willing to repent. They need to be people who are desiring the truth, even if it might lead to demands upon their lives. 
And all of these things here, I think, are examples of the moral character that wisdom should have. It needs to be pure. It can't be divided. It can't be characterized by a double heart that's seeking for various things that does not actually want wisdom. It needs to be peaceable. The more that wisdom is characterized by conflict and antagonism and a desire for that, the more it becomes reactive. It's not able to understand and to take things on board. The more angry and aggressive it becomes, the less able it's to receive things. So it needs to be gentle. It needs to be open to reason, to be tractable to arguments from other sides, to be able to look at and consider its faults, full of mercy, not wanting to crush people, but to hear them and under, understand them. Good fruits, it need to actually yield action. It needs to yield something that shows its character. And if wisdom is true wisdom, it will do that. It needs to be impartial, not judging by prejudice and appearance, as we've seen in chapter two, but it needs to be concerned about what is true, what is right, what is just, and it needs to be sincere. There's so much poisoning of minds by cynicism, for instance, within our day and age, where people are no longer sincere. They're thinking cynically about themselves and about other people. They're always addressing the world and other aspects of their lives with suspicion, with doubt, with distrust. And that sincerity is something that is incredibly powerful. And then that culminating statement, the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace, that that wisdom at its very heart is creative of and pursuing peace. It wants to be peacemaking. And all of those characteristics, I think, are ones that we can so easily forget. And as a result, we we lose the ability to find the true wisdom that is at the heart of the quest of James, the person who wants wisdom and is seeking wisdom. This is what it looks like when you find it. Yeah, and Alistair, you mentioned those metaphors. Uh, I think it was last podcast that those powerful metaphors that James uses. And here's another one, uh, sown in peace, uh, the metaphor of seeds sown so that everything mentioned in verse 17 is like seeds um, so that um, if his readers, if his hearers make peace, they can be confident that they will be the recipients of the promise of Jesus to set things right. So uh, all, all of the uh, Beatitudes are set in the context of Jesus preaching about his kingdom. Uh, the kingdom of God is at hand, and here's how my disciples will behave and what will characterize my kingdom, what will bring in my kingdom. And, of course, the kingdom that Jesus brings in is his new way of ordering humanity under his lordship um, in a righteous way. So um, a life that follows the pattern of Jesus outlines in Matthew 5 or even in his response to his persecution it, it may not appear to have a, an immediate impact in the world. Uh, but what James is promising here is that a life like this is like a seed sown into the ground. A long time, maybe nothing can be seen, but then one day it sprouts and then grows and then matures. And the result is a harvest of righteousness. So in commending his hearers to embrace this peacemaking instead of insurrection, James has asked them to live by faith. 
to act based on the reality of things unseen, uh, to pursue peace is to reject the wisdom of the world, to put aside the false security of this inflated rhetoric and these violent power plays that they're engaged in. Instead, hold fast to the power of the spirit, uh, this, uh, the spiritual wisdom that comes from above, wait patiently for the seed to grow into a tree, uh, and then, then the righteous kingdom of God will be evident. Thank you again for enjoying this episode of the Theopolis Podcast. For more information and for more content from Theopolis, you can check us out online at theopolisinstitute.com. We release new articles every Tuesday and Thursday on our blog, so you'll want to make sure to look out for those. You can also find us on Twitter at underscore Theopolis and on Facebook if you just search for our name. If you've been helped, sharpened, and encouraged by this podcast, we'd really love it if you would go to iTunes and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds, and it really will help us along in getting our content in front of new listeners. That's all for now, friends. We really look forward to being with you all again in the next episode. And as always, thank you so much for listening.